Good morning. It's good to see everyone this morning. I am so excited for this new series we're going to be jumping into. We're going to be doing a four-week series called The Power of God, where we're going to be looking at some bigger concepts about God and seeing how they connect to us in a very personal way. We're going to be seeing that God is all-knowing, which we're going to be getting into today, how God is all-powerful, and how God is everywhere. And on the fourth week, we're going to be culminating this whole series in a very special communion service, which you will not want to miss. And you'll be able to really appreciate the communion sermon more, service more if you're here each week, because you'll all be able to tie together in that service. Well, like I said, uh, we are going to be talking about how God knows everything today. So we're going to be starting pretty heady and then slowly moving down into the personal. If you have your Bibles, uh, turn open to Psalm, Psalms chapter 90, verse 8. Psalm chapter 90, verse 8. And uh, while you're turning there, I want to tell you a little bit about my interest and passion for just this idea, this idea of bringing these bigger concepts, you may say they're theological concepts, but just these bigger, kind of headier ideas that we find in the Bible, and working to help people understand how they actually do connect to our personal life. So I think it is so important, and we see this over and over again in the New Testament, where Paul he starts with a really big concept in the beginning of a letter that he writes, and he slowly brings it into the practical. And the importance of that, it helps bring connection into our beliefs and our actions. And I see this missing a lot in our culture today, more with the atheist evolutionary person. The person who believes in evolution doesn't believe in a God. That person believes that everything that we see all creation came from nothing and was pretty much random. There was no purpose, there was no meaning behind it. It all was just randomly kind of coming together, banging together until Earth was somehow formed. And then randomly, uh, life started happening. And then through either uh, evolution and uh, the strongest surviving uh, and the, weak, or the stronger defeating the weaker, somehow we arrived at humans being on earth. And that's their big idea. That's their big concept. The, the miscongruence I see is then their ethics. They say that they should be good people. They should do good things. They should serve people. And we see that a lot in our world. People are saying, well, just be a good person. You know, serve other people and uh, be kind, love others. That doesn't connect to we're animals, life is meaningless, there's no purpose. The natural connection should be continue to exploit other people so that you can get ahead. That's how you got here. Why would you give money to a poor person on the street, in the city? That shouldn't connect with the bigger story of someone who doesn't believe in a God and that we just came here by chance, and the strongest beating the weakest. And so there's a, a disconnect, and 
what I really see is they, they take really the cherry off the top of Christian ethics and they just kind of plop it onto their worldview, the way they understand the bigger picture. And so for us as Christians, to this morning, we are going to help fill in that bigger picture for us. That bigger picture of saying, okay, what, what is this big idea, these bigger concepts, and then how does it actually fuel me and give me grounding and connection for what I'm doing in the world? How does my origin story connect to my ethics, my way of living? How do these two connect? And when they do connect, it gives us a grounding for continuing to do these things over the long haul. Okay? So, how does this all-knowing concept, God knows everything, connect to our personal life? What we're going to see this morning and hopefully lay out for you, is that because God knows everything, uh, that's going to be our first stage we go through. God knows everything. Then our second stage is we're going to see that God responded to knowing everything about us in a certain way. And then we're going to see because God knows everything and because of his response, it should lead Christians into some of the most authentic and real relationships with people and with other Christians. It should, Christian community should be the place where the most real and authentic conversations are happening, where we can feel free to truly share about our lives with other Christians because of the bigger concept we're going to get into. Uh, and so this morning we're going to be looking at a lot of scripture uh, I, this is kind of actually very rare for me. I, I don't do usually this much scripture. I don't remember the last time uh, that I had a sermon that had this much scripture. I call this a washing by the words sermon. <laughs> You're going to feel like you just got like a shower in scripture. Okay? It's going to be a, a lot coming at you. Um, so feel free to write those down. Uh, maybe try to keep up if you're going to flip back and forth uh, in the word. Um, but uh, we're going to look at three verses uh, that show us that God knows everything. Because when we say God, in the Christian sense, we mean a Trinitarian God. God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit. And so we're going to see how each of those people in the Trinity not only know everything, but more importantly, know everything about you. That we are fully known by God. And so let's look at our first verse here this morning. Our first verse this morning is Psalms 80, Psalm, Psalm sorry, sorry, verse, <laughs> Psalm 90, verse 8. Psalm 90, verse 8. There may be a lot of that this morning. Um, so Psalm 90, verse 8 says this. Uh, you have set our wrongdoing before you, our secret sins in the light of your face. Okay? So God knows everything. God the Father Knows everything. He sees our secret sins, the ones that no one maybe even knows about us. God knows those things. I remember when I was a young kid and I stole cookies from the cookie jar uh, that I feared that my mom would come to find out that I stole some cookies from the cookie jar. There's this maybe uh, some inherent fear behind God knowing everything. All these sins of mine that maybe no one knows, He knows. So that is God the Father. God the Son, Jesus, also knows everything about you. So John chapter 2, verse 25, says this. 
He did not need any testimony about mankind, but for he knew who, what was in each person. For he knew what was in each person. And that's Jesus. That's referencing Jesus in the Gospel of John. And so when Jesus was here on earth, and if you read the Gospels, you'll see very quickly that Jesus sometimes was a mind reader. He, he knew what people were thinking and feeling before uh, they would even say something. He would almost anticipate their question because he knew what they were going to say. And he would respond uh, before they even knew. He knew things that were happening in people's lives that only God could know about. It's actually a, a testament to his deity um, that he is God. And so, not only did he know a few things, uh, know everything about a few people, this verse says he knew it was in each person. And so if Jesus was in this room this morning, he would know each of us, everything about our lives. Uh, pretty powerful stuff. And then lastly, uh, we see that the Holy Spirit uh, knows everything about who we are. It says the Spirit searches all things even the deep things of God. And so he searches everything about who I am. Uh, and he even searches the things of God. And later in that verse, he says, who can know the mind of God except for the Spirit of God? And so implying that the Holy Spirit knows everything God knows. And he also searches us. He knows us very intimately. He knows everything about us. And so through these verses... It is almost like we lay bare our lives to God here on earth. God knows everything. The Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. They know everything about us. And as I mentioned, that can be somewhat scary. It, it, it can be like, wow, okay, uh, my sins, my story lays before God as if it is broad daylight. And He knows everything about me. And if you're here this morning and you don't know Jesus and you haven't placed your faith in him, uh, that is a very scary thing. Right? What will God do? What is God's response to knowing how messed up I am? What does he do? And we see that God responded by showing love. God responded by showing love. Love. We're going to see three verses here uh, that indicate how he responded to us. God could have responded by being angry, by not showing any love, by continuing to withhold love and uh, just essentially give up on us. He could have retreated. He could have said, you know, I've tried over and over again with these people and they continue just to mess it up. And he could have said, I'm going to go try creating another earth and Trying with a new set of people. Uh, he could have just burned everything up. He could have said, I, I'm done with this. I'm so angry at you for doing these things that I, I'm just going to get rid of earth. Uh, he could get so angry at you that uh, you personally, that he could strike you with lightning. He could strike you down if he wanted to. But we see in Scripture, this God of ours, this big story that we believe in, that He ultimately responds to our life, our messed up life, our sinful life, our secret things that we keep with inside of us, our secret thoughts, our desires, all these different things. 
he responded by showing love. Like I said, if you have your Bibles open to Romans chapter 5, uh, verse 8. Romans chapter 5, verse 8. And I'm going to read just a little before that to get the context of what this passage is talking about. Verse 6 of chapter 5. So we're going to read through 6 through 8 with verse 8 being the main idea. You see, at just the right time, when we were still powerless, Christ died for the ungodly. That's each of us before coming to Christ. Very rarely will anyone die for a righteous person, though for a good person, someone might possibly dare to die. But God demonstrates his own love for us in this. While we were still sinners, Christ died for us. And so here we see that while we were still sinners, while God saw everything that we were, and he calls us what we are, we are sinners. That is how he sees us before Christ, that we are sinners. He sees our sin. He sees our brokenness before him. It is why we were still sinners, why we were helpless, why we couldn't do anything on our own, to move into a relationship with God, Christ died for us. And so God took action. He did something motivated out of love, motivated out of who he is. And he says, I am going to do something to show them love and to affect change in our relationship. That I will now open up a way for people to come to me and have a personal relationship with me. And so how did this work? In 2 Corinthians chapter 5:21. 2 Corinthians chapter 5:21. This is really the gospel in the nutshell. 2 Corinthians 5:21 says this, God made him who had no sin that is Jesus, to be sin for us. That is, God saw all of our sin, all of your sin, all of my sin, and he said, I'm going to put it on the spotless lamb. I'm going to put it on the one who has no sin. And so he took your sin, your messiness, your brokenness, and he takes it off of you and puts it on to Christ. So that in him we might become the righteousness of God. So that I can now, because of Christ's death on the cross, and on the cross God placing all of your sin and all of my sin on Jesus, he's now wiped that clean. He's forgiven it. And now I take on the righteousness of Christ. And I am able to now move into a personal relationship with God because of what Christ accomplished on the cross and because of God's response to my sin. He says, I love you enough to die for you so that you can have a personal relationship with me. And now here is the next thing. I love Jesus. I love the Christian God. I love the Bible. This is something that humans can't think of. 
We just, in our own minds, don't think of this stuff. And so in 1 Corinthians chapter 6, verse 19, this verse is going to show us that not only is there some sort of uh, static kind of judiciary relationship, okay, I'm forgiven to God and, and now I can have a relationship with God, but we're going to see that God wants to move close to us. He wants to now move into our own bodies because of our faith in Christ. God not dwell among sin. Sin cannot exist in his presence. And so in order for God to exist in me, he needs to see me as sinless. And that is accomplished when I place my faith in Christ. Because now God doesn't see me anymore as a sinner. He sees me as a saint. He sees me as someone who is righteous. Christ's righteousness. I am clothed in Christ's righteousness. And so God says, I can move into that space. I can move into that person. And he wants to move close. He's a God that is constantly moving close to people. And so verse 19 says, Do you not know that your bodies are temples of the Holy Spirit who is in you, whom you have received from God? You are not your own. So the building, the church building, is in God's house. This is just a building that we use that little God houses move into every week. We are God's house. Each person is a temple, is a sanctuary that the Holy Spirit dwells in. And that we were bought with a price. And so we have this living God who knows everything about me existing within me. And that's something kind of mystical. It's kind of, you know, it's hard to wrap our mind around. Maybe we don't really feel sometimes that the all-knowing, all-powerful God lives within me. I just feel like Dale muttering through a week sometimes. But there is the Holy Spirit residing in me and in you if you've placed your faith in Jesus Christ. And so now we are moving in to our third stage. Okay? We're moving into our third stage. And this is where these big concepts now start to come down into our personal life. And they have massive implications and very challenging implications for our life. Christians know they are fully known and loved by God. Christians, those who have placed their faith in Christ, can know and experience on a very deep, emotional, gut level, they are fully known to God and they are fully loved by God. They experience that in relationship. They know that. Not only through our experience, but through God's word. And so what is the next step from this? Do we just keep it vertical and say, okay, I know I'm fully known and fully loved by God and I'm just going to keep this vertical. This doesn't really connect to any sort of relationships or communities with other Christians. Let's consider this verse. This is the Lord's Prayer. And in the Lord's Prayer, it's part of the Lord's Prayer, it's not the Lord's Prayer. It's part of the Lord's Prayer. And Jesus is teaching people how to pray. And one line from here is so powerful. And we see this theme in Scripture. Where it says, your kingdom come, that is God's kingdom. 
Your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. So Jesus teaches people how to pray. And one of those things that he says in there is, we should be praying in a way that's cultivating our heart and our mind to bring what is in heaven, this spiritual reality that I have with God, into my horizontal relationships with people. That this community of Christians that all have the Holy Spirit in them, that, know, that, that He knows them and he resides in them, that we all know we're fully known and fully loved by God, that this should start to move out into the community of God. And that we should seek to bring what is existing in heaven down to earth. And so this concept of being fully known and fully loved uh, is, is powerful. And Tim Keller gives this great quote. I, I didn't put it up on the screen. It's somewhat lengthy. It's a lot to put a lot of words up there. Um, but just listen to this. He says, To be loved but not known is comfortable but superficial. Okay? So he says, To be loved but not known is comfortable but superficial. You can go up to someone in a small group here at Trinity, or maybe your spouse is also a believer, and maybe you feel loved, but you don't really, you're not really known fully. Maybe you're like 50% known, 75% known, and wherever that is, that line for you where you say, oh, they would know that about me, they wouldn't really love me. It's comfortable to stay in that safety place, but it's somewhat superficial. To be known but not loved is our greatest fear. So you'd say, okay, if I do express everything, 100% of my sins, my struggles, my desires in life, my hopes, my past, my broken story, if I lay that all out in front of a group of Christians and they don't respond positively to that, that's our greatest fear. Because we have a, such a deep sense of wanting to belong somewhere. And so to be kicked out of that space of wanting to belong, it's a deep fear. But to be fully known and truly loved is, well, a lot like being loved by God. It is what we need more than anything. It liberates us from pretense. It humbles us out of our self-righteousness and fortifies us for any difficulty life can throw at us. Now, Tim Keller says it this way, but the Apostle John says it this way. He says, but if we walk in the light as he is in the light, we have fellowship with one another. If we walk in the light as Jesus is in the light, Jesus is in the light. He sees everything that we do, everything that we think. He knows our story, our past. He knows our future. He is in the light. And that light shines very clearly on each and one of us in our own personal relationship with God. But we have to walk in the light as He is in the light. We have to walk, we have to live in a way that we are like living in light. There is no darkness in our life. There's nothing being hidden in our life. And so when we do that, we have fellowship with one another. We have true Christian 
community with one another. And we desire that because we want heaven to come to earth. We want God's kingdom to exist here on earth. We want that to manifest in some way where the world can look at it and say, there's something different about these people. There is a sense of authenticity and realness and truth that's happening that frees them to be fully known and fully loved. And the world, they can struggle with this. I have a friend who uh, was somewhat in the middle of his faith. He wasn't He grew up kind of in the church and knew about Jesus. But then he went to college and he started falling away. And he's like, okay, I just want to kind of get out of this culture for a little bit. And he started to kind of just live more of a secular life, a liberal life, a life that doesn't really involve God at all. And he started realizing the only place you find true community outside of the community of God is bars and bowling alleys. Those are kind of the two places you go to get community when church isn't in your life. And he said, Dale, it was so empty. It, 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 there was no depth. There was no realness to the community I was trying to find in bars and bowling alleys. And he said, one of the main reasons I went back to church is because of the community. Because these people talk about real-life issues. They share about their struggles with sin. They share about their past. They share about their hopes for the future. They're real with one another. And they want to talk about this stuff. They want to be authentic. They want to lay it all out for the community of God. And so what is this going to look like for Trinity? What is this going to look like for you in your own personal life? Maybe you're married Maybe you're a believer and you're married to another believer. What does that mean for you? How is that going to express itself? Are you going to move in your marriage more towards light? Or are you going to move more towards darkness? Maybe you're in a small group here at Trinity. Maybe this is a challenge for you guys to take the next step in becoming more real and authentic. Not just for the sake of being real and authentic, but because we have a deep and rich understanding of God the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, and that He knows me, and He died for me, and so I don't really have anything to fear in sharing. <laughs> We're going to find out either here or in heaven. <laughs> like It's going to happen sometime. And so, what does that mean for your small group? To take that next step in your dynamic as a small group. If you're not plugged into a small group, I'd encourage you to be part of community, a small group of Christians who are trying to grow in their relationship with Christ. And so two things that we can do uh, and the scripture points to. It says Christian community should be the most real and authentic form of community here on earth. Two ways we can do that. We can bear one another's burdens and so fulfill the law of Christ. We bear one another's burdens. What does that mean? We have to open up and share. What's burdening us? And I know as men, sometimes we can struggle with that because it can seem like we are being weak or that we don't have our life together. We aren't being responsible. We have to somehow have this facade of we have life together 
and maybe life is kind of falling apart and, and maybe you have some things, maybe you're let go of a job or, or maybe you have to move or all these different things and you're not really telling anyone. How are you going to bear each other's burdens and so fulfill the law of Christ if we don't ever share about the things that are weighing us down? How are we going to bring heaven to earth? God already knows the burdens that you're bearing. And God says, when you place them on me, you know, place your burdens on me for uh, my yoke is light. And so how do we manifest that in community? How do we do that? We bear one another's burdens. We share with one another. And that the community, when they hear you sharing about your burdens, respond in a way that is loving and caring and in a way that they can experience the love of Christ. The second way is therefore confess your sins to each other and pray for each other so that you may be healed. So here we have the idea of confessing sins to one another, not just to a priest, but to the body of Christ, to each other. Because we want to make known horizontally what is known vertically to God, that we would bring flesh to this idea that God knows everything about us and loves us. He knows the sins that we do already, so let's confess them. Now, in our American culture, we would say, well, Dale, why don't you just tell us at the very beginning, just confess your sins and bear one another's burdens and we can get out of here. You know, like, just tell me something to do and I'll go do it. But here in Scripture, and I think within the Christian community, when we start forming the foundations of this Christian thought, this theology of what leads us to the end goal, what leads us to those actions, it gives us more confidence and more longevity and a more, under, and more understanding of why we're doing it. And not just doing it to check something off a, a checklist and say, okay, did that, what's something else I can accomplish? <laughs> uh, we exist in community with God. We're a part of his community. We enter into his community, the Trinity. And so as we learn about this relationship and dynamic we have with God in relationship, slowly that just comes out. And so this week, how are we going to Bring heaven to earth. How are we going to walk in the light as he is in the light? Two ways we can do that. We can bear one another's burdens. And that means we have to open up a little bit this week about what's burdening us. Second is confessing our secret sins, our sins that we are doing. Whether we express that to our spouse, to a, a Christian friend, to our small group. We have to do that. We have to start walking in the light as he is in the light. We want to thank God for this message this morning, for his word, and uh, hope that we felt uh, refreshed by his word. And uh, let's pray this morning as we wrap up our service. Heavenly Father, Lord, we uh, want to thank you, God, that you um, just have loved us enough, in, not only in spite of our sin, but in sight of our sin. You saw us and said, I am going to love that person. And I'm going to love that person through dying for them on the cross so that they can come and exist in community with me 
in a very freeing way, and they can exist in community with each other as God's people on earth. Lord, I pray that we would be a light to people, that we would be a community that is attractive for people to come into. And they would say, this doesn't exist anywhere else. And that through community, we can point people to Jesus. And we can move people towards knowing and loving you, God. Lord, we pray uh, that this week would be a week where we can make that small step towards walking more in the light instead of moving more towards the darkness. It's your name that we pray. Amen.